Um, but my mom's house is beautiful, but a little bit small for all of us to be there. But it was okay. We crammed in anyway. And as um, things had it, Scott and I ended up on the blow-up mattress in the little living room. And, um, and that was fine. I would have slept anywhere to be all together with my family, so I loved it. And my husband never complained one time. He just slept on it, never said a, said a word. And it really was not uh, too bad. Now, everybody told us we were going to roll to the middle, but actually this was a new one, and we blew it up. And that didn't happen. Instead, we tended to go towards the edges. And so we were really would be okay when we were on it. Until if my husband, and he sometimes does this in the middle of the night, he gets up, can't sleep, and he goes to read. Well, usually I would um, hear him or feel him, and I would just kind of shift and compensate, go to the middle a little bit, and, and continue sleeping. But you know where this story is going. One night, I was in a dead sleep, and he got up, and the air kind of shifted, and I didn't hear him, and the next thing you know, I'm rolling off the edge. But the good news is... Because this living room is so small, the, the mattress was crammed between two chairs. So I kind of hit the chair before I only fell this far to um, the ground. That was the other good news. So that, that was uh, the adventure. It, it was a wonderful time. We sat around one night around the table and we told stories um, of the past. I don't know, um, you know what my daughter-in-law and son-in-law thought about all these stories, but they, some were funny. Some were kind of scary. And it was good to remember these things from the past and to look and see the hand of God in our lives. And that's really what we're going to be looking at in our lesson today. We're going to be looking um, at the past as the Israelites face the future. We are studying the book of Deuteronomy this semester, all 16 weeks, and we're calling it Facing the Future with Confidence. And I'm very, very excited about this book of Deuteronomy. And I'm excited um, that it's about facing the future with confidence because as we begin 2009, this could be uncertain times. There's a lot of different things going on. Our economy has kind of taken a downturn. My husband says they're calling it the Great Recession. You know, the stock market is in disarray. Uh, we have a new president, a new president of the United States, President Obama. I am praying for President Obama that he would make wise decisions and that he would follow God. But that's an uncertainty. We're not sure what he's going to be like. And as we look around our world, there are uncertain things there too. Israel is still fighting with the Hamas in Gaza. And we might wonder what will happen there. And that doesn't even begin to address each one of your individual lives where I know there are challenges that you will be called to face in 2009. So how do we face the future with confidence instead of fear or anxiety or despair or dread? Well, the book of Deuteronomy has the answer. Now, I know you all may be sitting there thinking, whoa, I can't believe that, because you kind of have this idea of Deuteronomy, like I had in the past, that it was kind of this long book in the Old Testament, uh, difficult, intimidating, maybe even a little boring. But as our song said, ancient words can impart truth. And this book is going to do that for us this semester. And I promise you, if you hang in there at the end of April, you are going to know the book of Deuteronomy very well. You're going to be able to tell the major themes to different people. And more importantly, you are going to know God better. 
you are going to know God better from this study of Deuteronomy. And you might even find that it will change your life more than any other book that you have studied in Scripture. I'm very excited about it. Deuteronomy is an amazing book. It's one of the greatest books in the Old Testament. And one commentary said this, its influence on the domestic and personal religion of all ages has not been surpassed by any other book in the Bible. Deuteronomy is quoted more than 80 times in the New Testament. And 21 out of the 27 books in the New Testament have quotes from Deuteronomy. Only six books do not have a quote from Deuteronomy in them. And I don't know if you know this, but this was the most amazing fact of all. Jesus, in the Gospels, quotes more from the book of Deuteronomy than any other book in the Old Testament. In fact, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, you all may remember that story. It's in Matthew chapter 4. Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness and he tempts him three times. And each time, Jesus counters the temptation with a scripture. Ladies, all three scriptures are in the book of Deuteronomy. Now that was amazing. When I learned that, I thought if Deuteronomy is so important to Jesus, then I need to study Deuteronomy. And so I began to read it and I began to study it. And as I did, I thought we need to study Deuteronomy on Thursday morning. And that's how we ended up here today looking at this great book. Deuteronomy is the story of the children of Israel, God's people, standing on the banks of the Jordan River, preparing to go in to the promised land, that land that God had promised to their ancestors. And this is after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, after Moses had led them out of Egypt. And Moses, in his love for God and his love for God's people, reminds them of God's word. That is what Deuteronomy is about. It is Moses' last words to the people of Israel before he goes off to die. Can you picture this? They're standing on the banks of the Jordan River, and Moses stands up and begins to tell them all the things, to remind them of all the things that God has told them in the past. Deuteronomy means second law, and I like to think of it better as repetition of the law, because there's not new law that Moses reminds them of. It's the law that God gave them at Mount Sinai when they came out of Egypt. And when I say law, I don't want you to think of a bunch of rules that God gave the Israelites to make their life hard or difficult. It was actually quite the contrary. God gave the law. They are his words, and it tells the people how to worship him and how to live in an orderly and just society so that they might know God and that they might experience his blessing. They would know what God required of them through the law, and they would experience his blessing. The law wasn't to save them from their sins. Salvation in the Old Testament is just like salvation in the New Testament. It comes through faith. It comes through faith in God, believing God. The law is where we see our sinfulness and we see God's holiness. It's the law that helps us to recognize our need for a holy God. Moses knows that this generation standing here, these people, need to make their own fresh commitment to the Lord. Moses wants to impress God's words on their heart so that they can recommit themselves 
to the Lord. He knows without this recommitment to the covenant God made with them at Mount Sinai that they would not be able to enter the promised land, to subdue the inhabitants there, to take possession, and to experience God's blessing of peace and plenty. Moses is a very good teacher, we're going to find out, and he uses the technique of repetition. He says the same themes over and over again. He did that so that the word of God would be impressed on the people's heart. They would know it and learn it and memorize it so that they could remember it. Moses wanted them to be able to remember it. And so that's why each of us, as we come to the end of this study in April, we are also going to know these themes. Hopefully they will be written on our hearts as well, and we will remember God's word. One of these themes you're going to see over and over again is love. In fact, you might want to underline that word or those pictures of love that you see in red as you go through Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the story of Moses' love for God and God's people. But more importantly, in Deuteronomy, we see God's love for the Israelites, his overwhelming, incredible, faithful love. And not only for the Israelites, but for all mankind. And that includes you and me. Another key word that we see a lot is listen or hear. Maybe you want to circle that every time you see Moses saying hear. Listen to this. We're going to see remember a lot. That's an important theme to remember. And then you're going to see the word obey over and over and over again. Because the key theme of Deuteronomy is this. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings discipline. You're going to see this over and over again. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings discipline. So there's much about obedience in Deuteronomy, and that brings us back to love. We've come full circle. Because when we see God loving us so much, we love God back. And out of that love comes obedience. We love God, so we obey God. And from obedience comes God's hand of blessing on our life. So then we can truly face the future with confidence, knowing God and trusting him. So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. You read this in your small groups. These first five verses give us the setting of Deuteronomy. Now, I've called this title Facing the Future by Remembering the Past, and we're going to look at the first three chapters in Deuteronomy. So we're going to have to go kind of quickly, and I'm not going to be able to read every verse. I'm going to summarize um, some large portions of it. So I want you to go home tonight and read the first three chapters, because at the end of April, I want you to be able to say that you have read every word in Deuteronomy. So read chapters 1, 2, and 3 tonight. And in these first three chapters, Moses is really reminding these um, uh, children of God of what has happened in the past. He's reminding them of what's happened in the past. One reason is so that they will not repeat the same mistakes that their fathers and grandfathers did, that their ancestors made. But not only that, he also wants them to have a sense of history. A sense of history is important to every generation because that is how we get our identity. It's looking at the past that tells us who we are and where we came from so that we can discover what we are to be doing in the future. 
this uh, past summer, I went to the little children's musical uh, that they had after uh, summer music camp, and it was called Pirates of the I Don't Caribbean. And I was heavy duty into the study of Deuteronomy at the time. And so this little play made a lot of sense to me. These little boys were on this island, and they didn't care because they were under the ruler of this pirate who had really brainwashed them, and they didn't remember their past. They didn't know who they were, where they'd come from, and so they didn't care. And at the end, when they're beginning to wake up to what's um, happening, they sing this song, and I'm not going to sing it, but the uh, main phrase in it said, to find out where you're going, you got to know where you have been. And they sang this song, to, to know where you... Um, are going, you got to know where you have been. And I thought to myself back last summer, that is so true. That's what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy. Ladies, history is not boring. History is his story. It's God's story. It's how we know God. And knowing God is life's most important knowledge. So let's look at... um, Deuteronomy here in the first verse says, These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. Now we know that it's Moses speaking. And in fact, all 34 chapters, this is Moses giving his final words to the Israelites before he dies. The longest farewell speech in the Bible and probably in history because it is quite lengthy. They're his last words. And we see that he, uh, that they are all in the desert east of the Jordan. On your verse sheet, there is a little map, and I wish I could have highlighted all of them, but um, I wasn't able to. And I don't know what happened to mine, but um, you will see there that uh, kind of where there's a squiggly line sort of up towards the top, that's the Jordan River. It's a little tiny line, and you see that little lake, that's the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea. And just to the right of that, it looks like a little sun. Do you see that little sun? You guys following me here? That is where people think the Israelites were camped when it, Moses is giving them this uh, long farewell speech. We don't know for sure. We don't really even know those cities that we see in the verse 1 there. We don't know where they where they are. But that's where they think. So you might want to just circle that little point. That's where this whole book of Deuteronomy is taking place. Now, there's other things on this map we're going to talk about today because you remember he's going back to review their past with them. So we're going to look at some other places, but that's where they're in camp for this story. And then verse 3 tells us it's in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month. So we know that 40 years have passed since they were led out of Egypt by Moses. And it says that Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. That's a lot, ladies. That's why there's a lot that we're going to be looking at this semester. He is going to remind them of all that God has said to them. There's some other things going on here. We're going to skip through that. We're going to talk about that later. And we go down to verse 6. And we see Moses begin to give his final words. And he says in verse 6, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Now, Horeb is the same word, um, or means the same thing as Mount Sinai. 
And so if you look at the very bottom of your map, you will see another little sun-like looking thing, and that is Mount Sinai. And that's where they went when they went when they left Egypt, and that is where God gave them the Ten Commandments. And you uh, might remember some of those stories. And so now, um, almost two years has passed. They've gotten the Ten Commandments. Other things have gone on. And God says, you've stayed long enough. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. And then he begins to say all these places. And this is the land that God is giving them. And and it says in verse 8, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Now, you remember Abraham. God calls him out of Ur in Genesis chapter 12, and he makes with Abraham a covenant. And he says, I will give you land. This is the land he's talking about. I will give you descendants, and I will make you a blessing to all people. That's really a reference to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we know, comes from the line of David, who's from the tribe of Judah, who was the great-grandson of Abraham. So he makes this covenant with Abraham, and then he makes it with his son, Isaac, and then he makes it again with Isaac's son, Jacob. And God renames Jacob Israel, and it's his 12 sons and their families that become the 12 tribes of Israel. We know that one of those sons is Joseph, and his brothers, they're jealous, and they sell him off um, into slavery in Egypt. That is what you call really sibling rivalry that has gone astray. So they go, and that's how Joseph ends up in Egypt. And through a series of events, this is God's plan, Joseph ends up becoming the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And this is a good thing, because that is how... His dad and his brothers end up in Egypt, and they are reconciled um, when they reunite. And so they live in Egypt, and that's where the book of Genesis closes. Well, when Exodus opens, 400 years have passed. And in that time, these 12 tribes have multiplied and multiplied until there's probably 2 million Israelites in Egypt. And the pharaoh, a new pharaoh, has become very... um, kind of scared of them, and so he has put them into slavery. And Exodus opens with the people calling out to God to save them. And so God brings Moses onto the scene. We studied Jochebed, his mother, and Miriam, his sister, last semester. And Moses would be the um, guy that would lead the Israelites out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they would get the law. And that is what has been happening here. And so when Moses says this word's descendants after them, it reminds him of this uh, promise that God gave to Abraham. And we see in verse 10 where he says, The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. Those are the words that God said to Abraham, I have on your verse sheet, Genesis 15, 5. God took Abraham outside and he said, look up at the heaven and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Moses wants to remind the children of Israel that God keeps his covenant promise. God kept his promise to Abraham about descendants. And now he's going to also keep his promise about the land that he had promised them. So let's look. I'm going to skip these next few verses. You talked about them in your small group. So let's look at verse 19. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites. 
until um, they reach Kadesh Barnea. Now, Kadesh Barnea is a town that is also on your map. It's just kind of almost straight north from Mount Sinai. You can see it there. And we know from verse 2 that it takes 11 days from Mount Sinai to get to Kadesh Barnea from Mount Sinai. Verse 2, Moses put that in parentheses for us to know. So 11 days have passed, and they are there. And uh, verse uh, 21 says, See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But they came to him and they said, okay, well, before we go in, let's send out some spies to check it out. And Moses thought, well, that's a good idea. So he picks one man from each tribe and sends 12 spies into Canaan. They're there for about 40 days. And you can read that, this story, in the book of Numbers 13 and 14. And so they come back, and verse 25 tells us, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. That's their report. God tells them this to remind them, Here's this land, once again, that God has promised to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his descendants, which are you. Here is this promised land, and it's a good land. He wants them to know that God keeps his covenant promise. But what happens? Verse 26 You were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out to Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. The people are stronger and taller than we are, and the cities are large with walls up to the sky. Now, we know from that report in Numbers that what happened was the 12 spies come back and they indeed do say the land is very good and they bring grapes that are huge and and other things. But the 10 of the spies say that it is scary over there because the people are very tall. They're like giants. And the cities are huge and they have walls that go up to the sky. And so the people began to be very scared hearing that. Now, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they said, hey, this is true, but with God on our side, we can defeat them. Let's go. But the people were still scared. So Moses, it tells us in verse 29, says... Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes, and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and a cloud by day. Moses tries to remind them here of who God is, this caring God. And this picture of God is so precious. This is a picture of love here with God carrying them as a father carries his son. Now, we don't see this picture of God as a father very often in the Old Testament. We do in the New Testament, but not very many times in the Old Testament. So this is a sweet picture that Moses tells the Israelites. And then he also gives them a picture of God's power. God went ahead of the Israelites as he led them out of Egypt. In the day, it was a cloud, and at night, it was a pillar of fire. It was the Shekinah glory, the presence of God that they could see. But still, they were terrified, they were fearful, and they would not go in. They could have gone in. It just took them 11 days to get to Kadesh Barnea. 
They could have gone right th- in right then. It hadn't even been two years since they left Egypt. They could have gone in and possessed this land flowing with milk and honey, this promised land, this good land that God was giving them. But instead, they would not believe God. They did not trust God, so they did not obey him, and they missed out on God's great blessing. Their unbelief led them to wander around in the wilderness for 38 years until they died. Now, we see this in verse 34. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, Not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your forefathers, except Caleb. He was one of the spies. It says he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And then 38 tells us that Joshua, he was the second spy that um, believed in God, encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit the land. And who else will inherit the land? Verse 39 tells us, the little ones that you said would be taken captive. Um, You read that in Numbers chapter 14, verse 3, when they said the Amorites will kill us and will take our children captive. God is saying not only will they not be taken captive, they will be the ones who will possess this land. Your children who do not yet know good from evil, they will enter the land I will give to them and they will take possession of it. Now, we don't know exactly what age that is. I read two commentaries, though, that said they thought it could be less than 20, that the children that were 19 and under, they were the ones that were allowed to grow up and enter into the promised land. And that makes um, sense to me. 20 was an age where you brought sacrifice. 20 was the age that you went into the military. So 19 and under. Now, we know that a 19-year-old knows that, or should know the difference between good and evil, but I think it would be just like God in his mercy and grace to make that age high. So it very possibly could have been all those that were 19 and under at the time that the Lord said this. They were the ones that would enter into the promised land. And then verse 40 says, But as for you, this is God still speaking, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Well, then in 41, we see them saying, oh, no, we've sinned. We're sorry. Okay, we'll put on our battle gear and we'll go in and we'll fight. And so they get ready to go. And God says, no, Moses, tell them, do not go in because I am not going to be with them. And they will be defeated. But verse 45 tells us, so I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command. And in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. We thought that this was going to be a sincere confession for a minute there, but no, they're still disobeying God. They're still doing their own thing, what looks right. And sure enough, we read on to find out that they were defeated and that they were pushed back. They were chased like a swarm of bees. It says, in their arrogance, they did this. You know, arrogance is never a good thing when you are walking with the Lord. Arrogance is going to always get us into difficulty. Um, Arrogance is the opposite of humility, and that's what we need to walk with God. I read this little story. Um, There were four men on a plane. There was a pilot, a preacher, a Boy Scout, and a professor from MIT. And the pilot comes out and he says, I have bad news and worse news. Bad news, the engine's failing and the plane is going to crash. Worse news, there's only three parachutes, so one of you is not going to make it. I have a family and they need me, and he grabs a parachute and jumps out. Then the professor from MIT says, I am the smartest man in the world, 
and it would be an incalculable loss for society if I should die. So he grabs a parachute, and he jumps out. Then the preacher looks at the Boy Scout, and he says, you know, I know the Lord, and I'm ready to be with him, so you take the last parachute and go. And the Boy Scout says, not to worry, preacher. Smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack and jumped out. So here, have a parachute. You know, we laugh at that. I laughed when I read the story, but I thought, you know, that's me in my arrogance. I have grabbed a backpack, and I'm jumping out of the plane, thinking my plans, my ways, my timing, I know what's going on. I'm in good control here. I've got a backpack, and I'm hurtling towards the earth, ready to crash and burn. God is standing there. He wants to give us a parachute. But in our arrogance, we go ahead and do our own thing. And so verse uh, 1 in chapter 2 says this, Then we turned back and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. You know, they're finally doing what God had said to do. As the Lord had directed, For a long time we made our way around the hill country of Seir. You know, ladies, you can underline long time. It means many days. Actually, 38 more years. This is them wandering around in the wilderness because they did not believe God. You know, we say to ourselves, why didn't they trust God? Why didn't they trust God? They could have had the land then. They could have lived in this land of promise. Psalm 78 tells us this. 78 is a great psalm. It's a psalm of remembrance, and it has the history of Israel in it. Verse 11 says this. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. They did not remember his power. The day he redeemed them from the oppressor. They forgot what he had done. They didn't remember God's power and goodness. The things that he had done for them in the past. They didn't remember how God redeemed them from their oppressor, the cruel Pharaoh. I mean, you guys remember the story. There were tons of miracles. The big miracle, he parts the Red Sea so they can walk on dry land. And then when the Egyptian soldiers get there, he brings the water back to drown them. It hasn't even been two years. And Psalm 78 tells us they forgot the power of God. You know, I stand here astonished, and yet it's the very same thing in my own life. You know, I forget those miracles that God does in my life. I forget the answered prayer that I've had in my life. I forget those times that God has been with me in amazing ways. And so when God tells me to do something that looks different, difficult, I begin to fret and worry and wring my hands. Or if God brings a hard time to me, I think, oh no, can God do something about this? I forget What God has done for me in the past, his blessing, his goodness, his power. Ladies, we must remember his power and goodness in those things that he has done for us in the past. So we go on to verse 2 here in chapter 2. And this section here is the more recent past for the Israelites. They've finished wandering 38 years. And in verse 2, the Lord says, You have made your way around this hill country long enough, which means probably all of those people um, had died, and now it was the children and their children that have been born ready to go in. And so he says to them, Turn north. And these next few verses here on your map, they're talking about how they went north, and they went through Edom, 
And Edom was the ancestors of Esau, the brother of Jacob. And so God says, do not provoke them, just pass on through. And Moab was the same thing. You see Moab on the edge, on the right-hand edge of that map. Moab's the same way. He says, do not provoke them, pass on through. Moab, those were the descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. Now, this was kindness on God's part because they were probably not following God. And yet sometimes the ungodly are blessed just by their relationship with the godly. You can be a blessing to people you know that don't know the Lord just because God blessing you can spill over on them. I thought that was a neat principle. We're not going to read those. The only verse I want to read in that one section is verse 7, and it says, The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you lacked nothing. God wants them to remember, Moses wants the people to remember that, that God was with them and they lacked nothing. And now we're going to see God takes them up to the land and they're going to begin to defeat some kings and have victory. In verse 24 of chapter 2, we see the first king and that is Sihon, king of Heshbon. And Moses goes to them and says, we'll give you silver um, for water and food. Just let us pass by. But verse 30 tells us, Sihon, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass through. For the Lord your God had made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate in order to give him into your hands as he is now done. I wanted to tell, talk about that verse a second because these are the verses that we look at in Deuteronomy that are hard, that we don't quite understand. What does that mean when it says that about the Lord? Ladies, let me tell you that Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not a nice man. He was cruel, he was brutal, and he cared nothing about the Lord God. He cared nothing about the God of the Israelites and their ways. And so his heart was not soft towards the Lord. So the demands of God became a hardening influence on Sihon's heart. He was not receptive to God. And so the demands of God were a hardening influence on his heart. So they defeat this king, and they possess the land, and they go on in chapter 3, and now they're going to defeat Og, king of Bashan. And I want to read just two verses in um, this part. One of them is verse 5. All these cities were fortified with high walls and with gates and bars. And then I want to read um, verse 11 where it says his bed was made of iron and was more than 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. Og was a pretty big man. You might call him a giant to have a bed that big. But God has said to them again in verse 2 of chapter 3, Do not be afraid of him, for I have handed him over to you with his whole army and his land. Do you see the point I'm trying to make here? The Israelites trusted God and he gave them victory. He gave them victory over the very things that their fathers and forefathers had been afraid of. Giants and cities with big walls. And now, right off the bat, God has been with the Israelites. The Israelites trusted him and they have defeated the giants and they have taken over the cities with the big walls. When we trust God, he gives us Victory. The Israelites trusted them, 
and they saw God's victory with the defeat of these two kings in this land. We, uh, Moses tells them this because he wants them to remember, God will enable you to do what he asks of you. God will enable us to do what he asks of us. Remember that. Remember, ladies, God will enable us to do what he asks of us. Verse 12 through verse 20, this is Moses dividing up this land. Now, this is the land east of the Jordan. It's not quite, they haven't crossed over yet. But he divides up this land between three tribes, Gad and Reuben and Manasseh. But he tells them an interesting thing, and this is the part I just want to um, read. Actually, I'm just going to describe it to you. The last couple verses in that section, he says to them, okay, your wives and your children and your livestock can stay in the land, but you must, you able-bodied men, must go across the Jordan with your brothers and help them fight and possess that land, and then you can go back to your homes. And I think this is a principle that we talked about today, Martha, with her prayer request. We need each other. We need each other in our walk. God could have easily um, taken over the other side of the Jordan without the help of these men. But he wanted them to be with their brothers because we it's a spiritual principle. We need each other as we walk along with the Lord. God uses people in our life to encourage us and to strengthen us and to give us wisdom. And so he tells them this. And then the last little section here is Moses preparing them before they go into the Jordan River, across the Jordan River. And so it says in 21, at that time I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. And then we see this beautiful prayer of Moses. We see this intimate conversation he has with the Lord. O sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? This is a rhetorical question because Moses is saying there is no other God in heaven or on earth. There is no one mighty like you. And then he says, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, the fine hill country and Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. And commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. Now, I want to just tell you real quickly about this story. Some of you may not know it, and so it sounds a little confusing. We're going to talk more about Moses and all this in the, um, in weeks to come, but I want to just tell you real briefly this story so that you will know. There was an incident, and you can read all about it in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. They were in the wilderness. Uh, they don't have any water, and, of course, the Israelites are complaining, we're going to die of thirst, and God's, you know, and they're, you know, grumble, grumble, grumble. And Moses has... He is frustrated, you can imagine. He's had it with these people. So he and Aaron go to God and say, okay, we need water. And God says to them, gather the Israelites in front of that rock and speak to the rock and water will gush out. Plenty of water for everyone. So Moses goes back, does what God says, gathers the people, stands in front of the rock. But he's pretty frustrated. So he says, okay, for you people of Israel, I have to get you water. And he strikes the rock two times with his staff. And out comes the water. And God's response to that is on your verse sheet. It's Exodus 20. 
I mean, Numbers 20, verse 12. I'm sorry, if I said Exodus, the story takes place in Numbers, chapter 20. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So this was what um, God had said to Moses back then in the wilderness. And this may seem like a harsh punishment, and it was severe. But I do want us to remember that God was going to take, in just a very short time, Moses to be with him in heaven. He was going to take him to glory. And as wonderful as the promised land was going to be, it wasn't going to be like being with God in glory. And I also think, real quickly, I want to say, because I was real impressed with this, how sometimes our complaining and our grumbling can frustrate our leadership. And I think we need to be aware of that. Be aware of the things you're saying to those in leadership um, over you, especially at church. Let's not be the ones that cause them to strike the rock twice. Um, It's a hard job that they're doing. We need to pray for them um, instead of grumble and complain to them. And Moses knows that God's plan is best. And we know that because we're going to see him continue to uh, strengthen and encourage Joshua through the rest of the chapters of Deuteronomy. Moses wants them to uh, remember that God's plan is best. Moses has given them these three chapters because he wants them to remember God is faithful even when you're not faithful. God is faithful even though your ancestors were unfaithful. Remember this and remember that God's plan is best. As I thought about this lesson today, I was thinking of two questions I asked myself and I put them on your outline for you to ask yourself. Am I wandering in the wilderness because I do not want to do what God asks? You know, the wilderness for you could be um, a time of not experiencing any joy. Maybe you feel like you're far from God. You don't really um, experience his presence and his love and his power. Or maybe there's a hardship going on in your life. It could be because he has asked you to do something and you're unwilling to do it. The second question is, am I facing the future with fear because I have forgotten God's power and goodness in the past. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 22:29, "You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God." Ladies, we need to remember the goodness and the power of God and the scriptures, that is what reminds us of God's goodness and his power in our lives. Uh, Sunday, Doug Cecil gave us a verse that Patty loves, Isaiah 41.10. That's a great verse. It talks about God holding us in his mighty right hand. I also wrote a few more verses on your verse sheet. You know, if you're struggling with uh, thinking you can't do something God wants you to do, Isaiah 40.31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Another great verse that's very familiar that encourages us is Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I don't know if you watched the college football, but little Tebow, the quarterback for University of Florida, had the black under his eyes, and in that he had written Philippians 4.13. How many of you saw that? I don't know, but they won the uh, championship. Oh, it said John 3.16? 
Oh, well, there you go. I thought it was Philippians uh, 4.13. Okay, John 3.16 is good, too. Maybe maybe there was somebody else that hauled that. So, okay. Anyway, I'm putting it under my eyes if I ever put black under there. But my very favorite verse, and we'll close with this, is Zephaniah 3.17. And we don't have time for me to tell you stories how this verse has blessed me, but let me close in reading it. The Lord your God is with you. With you and you and you and he is with you personally. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Ladies, let's remember God. Pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are a loving, gracious, powerful, just, merciful God. Lord, we want to remember you. We want to remember your goodness and your power in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of that. Father, that you would bring verses to our minds that would remind us of that, that we can walk every day talking to you because we have every spiritual blessing under heaven through Christ. Father, I pray for these women that have come. I pray that you would bless them. Father, that you would open their hearts, that they might look at these ancient words of Deuteronomy, that they would impart truth, and that our lives would be changed. Bless this study, Lord. Bless each one of these ladies. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a purse and a set of car keys. Come up at the end and get them. And um, purse and car keys? Okay, all right. I've got them up here.